So Chris is going to start us off with the Gravity Times. We just want to go through some of the most recent updates, rumors going on in the Apple universe, especially Apple and Enterprise. Um, if, you if you're not familiar with us, we're Rocketman Tech. We are Jamf only, Apple, well, Apple only, Jamf highly specialized, um, and MSP. So we've been kind of in this industry and we started this Mac admin meetup to be able to share what we're seeing in the industry and hear what you guys are seeing in the industry so we can kind of make sense of everything. Um, our line of work, we have to be extremely proactive. So it's great to get a little sanity to make sure that everyone else is experiencing some of the hiccups, nuances and updates that we are. Uh, so without further ado, Chris, go ahead and get started. Cool, thanks, Eric. Um, before I even get started, um, kind of just want to see how everyone's experience joining this meeting was. Uh, we kind of changed the format and did a res registration link, and I have no clue how well that works. So, did anyone have any issues? Feel free to shout out or throw it in the chat. Cool. Looks like people liked that. So, good job on, on that, Eric. Um, Peter, yeah, the, the question you ask is actually something I wanted to bring up because I was, um, I'll, I'll bring that up in a second. We'll, we'll get to that because I'm about to be here soon. This is with uh, Apple updates with M1 chips. Um, but yeah, this is the Gravity Times. We do this Mac admins meetup once a month. And uh, the point of the Gravity Times is just to say, hey, what has changed in the last month that we all need to know about? Um, I, I know in my field, I've been, I've been throwing a lot of curveballs, and even when I try to keep up with everything, it's, it's pretty hard. And, you know, there's changes to how system extensions work, and there's changes to how Mac OS updates work, and there's things in Jamf that are getting deprecated. And, like, I like to keep up with those things as much as possible and keep all of you up with these things as well. So if I figure out how this works, so we're going to start out with the Jamf updates. Um, so if you were at our Mac admins meetup last month, we, uh, we went over a bunch of updates that time. Uh, we are still on the same Jamf version, so there aren't that many Jamf updates. Um, however, there were a lot more patch management titles added. So I think last month we were like, wow, they added 28 titles. Well, now they added over 500. And I think the rumor is there's a couple under more they're going to add. So obviously the Kenobi um acquisition that happened has you know reaped benefits for the rest of us because now we have more patch management titles um and this is the thing i wanted to talk about and i actually and chris i'm gonna cut you off right before you get into that because i know how much you want to talk about it so on the patch management side does everybody else in the room are they excited about this have you guys heard about it do you think this is something that's like oh my gosh thank thank goodness this is finally coming I think last time we were starting to hear some of that, but I'd love to hear from some of the uh, newer attendees if, if they care about this. Yep, Clinton, I think most of us agree with you. Yeah. The more the better. Yeah, patch man. Uh, patch management in Jamf is nice, uh, is not completely automated. You still have to package and deploy the package. Um, but it's a lot nicer than trying to update anything through a policy because then you have to write a 
plethora of scripts and other stuff to get it to close the application before it installs it and yada yada. Um, so there's a lot of stuff built into the patch management that's really cool. Um, it's great to see that now most titles are offered that we're going to be using. Um, Mac OS updates via Jamf with Big Sur slash M1. Um, yeah, this, this seems like a mouthful because it is. I actually noticed this this morning as I was trying to test something uh, for one of my clients with pushing out updates. And I'm like, so this, this, is, this is where I kind of want to open this up to discuss because I'm not 100% sure what's happening here, but I tried to deploy my typical workflow of um, updating the OS via a policy on Big Sur and that did not work. Um, and from what I was doing with my initial research, which I did very little this morning, uh, was that's not working with Big Sur or M1. Um, so I'm kind of opening this up to like, uh, how, how have people been updating the OS with Big Sur? You've just been letting users manage that themselves. And I guess to specify in the past, what I've done is deployed a policy uh, that would do software updates, which would install the Mac OS updates and restart the computer. And then you can use like either several policies or allow the policy the user to defer the policy if they need to, and then give them a delay in order to restart the computer. Um, what I've been seeing this morning is that just doesn't seem to work at all with Big Sur. Now there is the way you can do it through an MDM command as well, where you can, um, you know, say install all available software updates. But from testing that as well, that also doesn't seem to restart the computer and actually install the updates. So as we're going to talk about, there's a critical update with um, Apple for 10.3 that eliminates um, a, a huge bug that they were having, a huge uh, security vulnerability. So. Um, oh man, I'm like trying to keep up with the chat. If anyone wants to speak up about this, they totally can. It looks like there's a couple pretty interesting. Uh, Steven, thanks for sending over the, the WordPress there. Brad, sounds like you're having success with it uh, just in self-service. Yeah, I'm bringing this up now. So is this, so um, who who sent this uh, WordPress thing? This uh, was Steven. Steven. Yeah, so Steven, is this like actually deploying a package instead of doing the software updates through a policy? If you want to speak up, are other people able to talk? <laughs> I think so. I just feel weird that only me and you have talked this whole time. <laughs> Test. Yes, apparently other people can speak. Hello. Okay, cool. Hello. <laughs> Thank, Hello thanks Ryan. for getting me out from under the bus because that was about to be my fault for a second. <laughs> 
Oh, and Steven yeah, said he, in the chat that he can't speak up. He's in another meeting. So. Oh, okay. No problem. Um, yeah. Peter, did you have any thoughts on this? You said currently there's no solution via Jamf. Uh, yes. I had a, a talk with Apple and, uh, and, and afterward actually Jamf. And now I forget the name of the other uh, Jamf-like uh, software that's out there. Something with an M. It's not the monkey thing. It's the is one other one. And um, Apple uh, directed us to uh, well, if we use that, we can actually push it to the M1 because, as we all know, with the M1s, the user gets prompted to put in their credentials, which is far from automation, and the users just simply aren't going to do that anyway. Yeah. So, um, and then we ended up going back to Jamf and Jamf told us, well, we currently we're aware of this. Uh, we have something that's in the works, but there's no even ETA on when that solution is going to be uh, put into Jamf. So that's, that was just this week. Uh, that's what I got. Gotcha. Yeah. So now I was seeing some stuff about the M1 chips and that. So with with prompting for a password, is that specifically if you do software updates through an MDM command? Uh, even if you do it through the MDM, when it when it goes to try to actually uh, you know run it and apply it, it's it's going to prompt the user. So we, we were even trying that and didn't have any yeah, luck. Yeah, because there's I'm trying to get my windows over here now. This is. All right, so this is my server. So just specifically, because there's this is the traditional way I've done it, is where I do software updates through a policy. And that typically just installs the updates and restarts the computer. Um, it, and with specifically with a non-M1 Big Sur, which I'm testing on over here, this just didn't work at all. It, it tried to deploy the updates. It didn't download anything. It didn't install anything. It didn't restart the computer. Um, there's also this method, which I honestly haven't um, tried much. And I don't know if this Mac mini can do it, but this is my test instance. But you can download and install updates from here, kind of like you could with iOS. Is this where it prompts the user for the password? I haven't I haven't tried it through that. Um, yeah. We tried some of our pre-existing methods that we had for uh, forcing updates. And we have actually uh, de deployed our MDM profile, which normally has the machine set to where they automatically download and install all up. Yeah, um, that's through that's here not, where you yeah, where you do it. Yeah, we create uh, all policy updates. Right, right. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's been working great up until this point. Um, before I was manually creating the MDM profile, but now that Jamf has even gotten a bit better, now you can you know fully you know, utilize Jamf to do this. So the only problem is that we're finding on the M1s. Um, I, I didn't even try it on just Big Sur. I, I was just going forward with the M1s because we were still. This was one of our last verifications that we're actually doing for the hardware before getting it out there to the general population. Because right now we just have it to individual like you know, some high-end uh, test groups or users, just a, a mm. handful of machines. And then that's when we started running into this issue and we're like, ooh. So um, yeah, that's when we then contacted Apple and then they directed us back to a Jamf and yeah. the Jamf was like, no, we're not there yet, so. Yeah, so um, 
anyway, I'm probably getting way too much in the weeds with this. This is a great way to do software updates through a configuration profile. However, it doesn't actually automatically kick it off. Uh, it just installs it for the user and then they, it pings them just like it does normally to like, hey, you need to restart your computer to do the updates. Um, what I'm trying to do right now is force the users to update it by forcing a restart. Um, and I'll get back later today or Monday with more information because I just started struggling with that this morning. Uh, but just wanted to let everyone know, else know that there's probably going to be some problems with Big Sur and even more problems with the M1 chip when you're trying to push out software updates. But uh, I will move on from this. <laughs> Um, so this is the time where we kind of open up the floor to everyone else and say, are there any other additional Jamf updates? Um, it looks like Brad said something in here. Yeah, you do it via packaging. Um, yeah. So you, you actually package up the updates, um, Brad. I was thinking that could work too, because you can package up like the, the individual minor updates. So that, that might be the, the way to do it now. Cool, I'm, I'm gonna try that out later. But moving on, uh, any uh, additional Brad, my, updates that everyone? Oh, Brad's go gonna send us a light invoice for that, a uh, little bit of expertise there. Appreciate it, Brad. <laughs> moving on, uh, any other additional Jamf updates that anyone knows about that they wanna share with the group? Uh, there was one other thing we ran across, uh, just a quick one. Uh, M1s can't, you cannot through Jamf send a, a lock command. Uh, oh, send. interesting. Yeah, so um, I'll get more information on that, but that's something I just noticed. So, um, you know, I'll get back to you with more, more on that, but that's one thing we saw right off. Cool. Uh, anyone else have any other Jamf updates, curveballs? weird things that they want to discuss. It's also not a speak now or forever hold your peace. If you think of something later on, feel free to, we just, we just try to put some structure into these things. Anybody cool. use Jamf Connect? I've got, I've, got, I've got one with that. Yeah, do you, do you have an issue you're running into? Well, we haven't deployed it yet. We're still in the testing phase, but it's bricking our machines. Bricking Ooh. them? Wow, yep. that's not good. Um, <laughs> it has something to do with a, uh, a bug with, or an implementation issue with our identity provider. We use ping, ping federate. Oh, and I, and I kind of, I've kind of gathered that Jamf doesn't have many ping federate customers. Uh, yeah, but they've acknowledged I don't think so. That the, it affects, it affects another one of their customers that has ping. Yeah. I don't think I've ever implemented ping with Jamf connect. So um yeah definitely yeah, it keep was an a eye real bear just to even get it configured to integrate you know, the integration with our idp was just a bear to figure out jamf didn't have you know very extensive documentation. documentation on it and we had to bring in our ping guy and even he was having trouble interfacing with jamf and working together and it was just kind of just kind of not been ideal yeah cool um well if anyone has anything they want to add to that, feel free. Mark, has that been hard bricking or just requiring an OS reinstall? Uh, it requires a uh, wipe and reinstall from recovery. 
and they've even tried to give me instructions on how to delete the off dot db um they were saying yeah. that that would fix it and that didn't work i hadn't i, I deleted the off db and a couple other database files and the, the computer still wouldn't boot up normally yeah i mean the auth db just takes out the jamf connect login screen so it, it sounds like they have a, a much bigger major issue <laughs> that they need to address yeah. that's interesting um we will move on though and talk about apple updates um oh gosh i I'm in there on the screen. The, the latest macOS version is 11.3.1. <laughs> I forgot to change it. Um, I think 14.4.2 is, is still the latest uh, iOS. Um, also, there's Apple's 420 event. Um, not much. Oh, 14.5.1, Brad says. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you can tell I threw this together yesterday. Um, did want to mention Apple's 420 event. So lots of consumer updates, really nothing notable for the enterprise. So I'm not going to get into that too much. I will probably buy some air tags though. So I don't keep losing my keys. Um, so Mac OS 11.3, um, actually we're on 11.3.1 now, but, um, this is a really important update. It patches uh, what Apple calls a massively big bug. Um, basically, it allows a, a software vendor, if they're, they're using a script, uh, to be able to bypass a lot of the security and privacy stuff. So, you know, when you're annoyingly having to, uh, you know, users are having to like allow access to their camera and their microphone and screen sharing and all that. Um, that's really important because if a, if you installed a piece of software and they were able to get all that stuff, now they're able to hack into like all your things, right? So um, this is patched in 11.3. So if you're on 11.2.3, make sure you update as soon as possible. Uh, we also have iOS 14.5. So I did get it correctly in this slide, Brad. Um, and this, uh, this basically not, not too much notable for the enterprise again, but it does have support for all the spring loaded event updates that they talked about if you uh, watch that event. Cool. Um, any additional Apple updates or does anyone want to talk about the updates that were that we talked about on the other two slides? Um, Scott was also asking, has anyone gotten G, G Suite credentials to log into a MacBook? Um, Scott, are you speaking of with Jamf Connect? Um, no, actually, I'm trying to see if there's a way to do it natively where um, instead of binding to AD, um, we somehow bind to Google's LDAP and um, use the credentials from Google G Suite to log into the Mac. Oh, um, <clears throat> I don't think you can bind to Google's LDAP. Well, it's um, not necessarily but... a bind as much as an, a lookup, but I've got gotcha. I've gotten a document from Google on how to do that. Oh, really? And it, and it doesn't do that. Here, I'll post the. Um, and 
one of the one of the things I came across is I think it it doesn't work in Big Sur for sure, but it should work in Catalina, and I've attempted to do it in Catalina, and I haven't gotten it to completely log in. So I just I'm I'm just trying to reach out and see if anyone has actually successfully done it, if or if this is one of those promises that's never going to come around. <laughs> Um, yeah, it might be one of those promises, but does anyone have any um, thoughts on that or has anyone done that? Shoot, I can't open up things during <laughs> presentation. Um. Cool. Um, I will look into that and get back to you if I have any advice, but that's something I haven't really looked into, so I can't say much for it right now, Scott. This is kind of one of those in-between Mac admin meetups where things just came out that we don't really have answers for yet, but some of these topics might make really great keynotes in the coming months for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Cool, and we, we have added another section to our Gravity Times uh, via Eric's request. This is called Up in the Air, and this is topics that are relevant and interesting. So I'll kick it off to Eric to talk about our first topic. These are pretty short and sweet, but this is definitely more, you know, I'm the, the least techie guy here at Rocketman Tech, but I do spend a lot of time trying to figure out what's happening in the industry by you know, the, the Reddit forums and the various forums. And one of the things that I'm hearing a lot of is companies are trying to push their clients back to, all right, guys, you know, work from home. It's fun while it, was, while it lasted, but let's all get back in the office. And there's kind of a split between people that are, you know, all right, let's go back. And then other people putting their foot down and other companies saying, hey, this, this works for us. So I wanted to kind of hear from you guys since, we, we don't necessarily have the employees that we're trying to usher back into the office. Um, are these conversations you guys are having right now, whether or not to go back to the office or not? Yeah, for sure. Um, company I'm at is kind of a, you and your team negotiate, we're not gonna force a top-down policy. And so it basically comes down to a third want to go back full-time, a third of the employees want to be remote full-time and a third want kind of a hybrid situation. And the company's really flexible around that. Cool. That's what I started to see was. And to add to that, sorry to interrupt. Um, no, this was it. from a historically, you can't work from home. You won't be productive. Why do you want to work from home? No, no, no company making that transition. That is really insightful because I, I kind of, doubted that the companies that always put their foot down if they would actually change and they'd say, well, we'll just get new employees if you don't want to come back. But it's kind of cool to hear that they're pivoting with the time, so to speak. What I kind of saw was there was a lot of people that were doing uh, like the quasi split, where if you wanted to stay working from home, you could work from home, but you would, you know, if you had an office at the at the office, then you would lose your office, and that had to go to somebody who said that they would come back into the office, um, things like that. Yeah, Tim, Timothy, Mark, um, seems like we're all just, you know, who knows what we want to do. Yeah, I had to um, work in the office the other day for one of the clients that needed an onsite day. And I was like, whoo, I, uh, I definitely don't miss this. <laughs> it 
there's a there's something about working from home where I just feel like a bit more comfortable and like I can I can kind of move at whatever pace I want to and I'm not like stuck somewhere. Well, and you like the coffee at home. I know how important that is to you. Well, that's true. Yeah, they never they never make coffee as good in the office. Hey guys, this is Justin Ventura. This is my first time joining. So um, hey, Justin, welcome. But uh, I work in a hospital, and so ours has been a little different <clears throat> in our IT department. We've said that, you know, we've required everybody to be here two days a week uh, and then you can work remote other days. Uh, and then people that work four days or more do not have to hotel their cubes. But anybody that works um, three days or less or works only three days, then their cube spaces are now becoming hoteling spaces. So it's, it's definitely shifted. But we're also going through an electronic medical record um, change. And so we've got a lot of training going on. And so having people at home is, has been really easy and, and a good thing. Thanks, Justin. Yeah, that's interesting for the, uh, the companies that, you know, they have to be there. I think we're, we're seeing that, you know, hospitals obviously being one. Um, I'm just reading through the chats here. It's, this is kind of one of those topics where it'll be interesting to see what the new norm is because everyone's kind of inventing their own norm. percent back on campus. Yeah. Schools and, higher education, we've definitely seen it there. Um, some people having to come back at least. Uh, Chris and I, we both live in a, in a college town. We're in Fort Collins, just north of Denver. And we, uh, you know, we've been here for almost two years now or a little over a year. And yeah, we're finally seeing this, the town is at least having college students back, which is interesting. It's like a whole different town. And so I, I gotta believe that that's, a, that's true everywhere else. Um, all right, so we don't want to get too long-winded, and Chris has an incredibly entertaining and sexy presentation on document documentation coming up. Good news for all of us. Um, I'm glad we're on the Apple side. I did hear that the most recent Windows update after the, the Bill and Melinda split isn't really going in the right direction. A lot of the users are pretty skeptical that this is the right direction for Microsoft. Uh, so we'll, we'll see what happens there. It's just it's good to be Apple only. I'm just waiting to see if this joke is landing. I've, I got a single, I got a single LOL and that works for me, baby. We can go ahead and continue <laughs> on. Uh, yeah, any, any additional relevant updates, just about anything that anyone's chime in? Cool. And I will move on. Um, if you have any feature requests that you uh, want to give to the group so we can all upvote it, please drop it in the chat. We'd be happy to upvote those for you. Um, another thing to note too, with all these software titles that are coming in for patch management, if there happens to be one that's not there, I think this is something that Jamf will be adding on a more regular cadence now that they've purchased Kenobi, who has somehow managed to create a lot of different software titles. So with that, I will move into the meat of our presentation, which is definitely going to be the most sexy presentation we've ever had uh, because it's about documentation. I'm going to get my windows kind of sorted here. Um, so yeah, uh, th this is kind of a, a basic presentation, but it's about a, a pretty important topic. 
because, uh, you know, we, we work with a lot of people's Jamf servers and even more than that, we get a lot of people to come in for what's, what's called a Jamf Pro health check, where we look at people's servers and we kind of give them advice for how they can set up things better. And one of the big things we, we come across in it, pretty much everyone's server is a, a major lack of documentation. Um, and not only a lack of documentation, but a lack of even any documentation structure within Jamf. So I wanted to have a presentation with, with everyone in this Mac admins meetup, just have us kind of discuss how we document things and maybe come up with some basic best practices that we can all use. So um, I'm inside my test Jamf Pro server right now, as you can see on the screen. Um, I will say I've kind of tried to prepare this for this presentation, but this is also my test server, so it's it's pretty messy. Um, I basically spent 30 minutes organizing it to look like it was a production server. Um, I'd love to be able to show all the other production servers I work in, but NDAs and all those other things, I'm not able to show that. So this is going to be the best I can do. Um, first thing I want to talk about and I think the most important thing when it comes to organization with Jamf is categories. So I'm going to go here to global management and categories. I probably don't need to say this, but within Jamf, categories can be used for two purposes. Uh, one is to organize it internally inside of Jamf. And another is to organize policies inside of self-service. Um, so the nice thing about the, the policies and self-service is they will only, that category will only show up on the, the left-hand side of self-service if you add that policy to that category. So there's, there's clearly certain categories that I use that are just to be in self-service. And then there's other ones I create just to organize within Jamf. And these are kind of the four main ones I wanna talk about. I have temporary, quarantine, deprecated, and testing. And I like to put uh, WXYZ right before the end of them, just so that they show up on the bottom of all my categories. Uh, that way they're kind of out of the way. Now, why do I make these? Because it's really important to be able to categorize things based on what you're doing. So for instance, I always like to test things before I use them. So I create a testing category to stage everything. Um, also, as I'm working with stuff, there's certain workflows I create that become deprecated. I'm not using them anymore. And I don't wanna always delete them right away. Um, so I just quickly throw them in the deprecated category. Um, then I come back to them later and I'll kind of look at them and make sure like, yeah, we've been testing this new workflow for a while. It's been working so I can, I can delete the old workflow. I don't need that anymore. Um, the cadence we use at Rocketman is we'll do that once every three months. We'll kind of do like a little, you know, internal health check and go through all our deprecated stuff and make sure like, yep, everything's working properly. We've got everything organized right. And now we can delete all this stuff. Um, the quarantine is specifically for typically when we're working with a client the first time. So we'll come in in someone's environment and there's all this thing, all these things that were created where it's like, all right, we need to reorganize things. And there's certain things we need to kind of inspect further. Um, the biggest part of this is packages. So we'll come in and we'll see a bunch of packages and the packages might not have any documentation and we don't know what it is. So we need to like, all right, we're gonna put this in quarantine and then we're gonna 
download these packages onto a computer, inspect them to see if they're anything useful. Um, and then we'll either add them to the deprecated category or we'll put them in some production category. Um, I typically have more categories in an actual production environment, but these are what I call the production categories. Anything that's not any of these categories are production, which means once they're they're in one of those categories, they are live, they're being deployed to people. They're not in this like testing phase or anything. Um, and then the last one I create is temporary. Uh, this one can, can be really useful if you're creating a temporary workflow, um, either to test something that's not really relevant to be able to stage it for full deployment, or if you're just creating some like smart group to, in order to monitor stuff. Um, so this, this is where I feel like organization um, kind of starts for me within Jamf Pro. And the specific things I do want to talk about in this talk, I know I don't have a keynote, I'm not like quite as uh, organized as I normally am, but we want to talk about uh, packages, scripts, policies, configuration profiles, and then smart and static groups. Those are kind of the main things that you can organize in Jamf and that need organization. Um, before I move on to packages though, does anyone have any questions about this or does anyone have any input on categories they like to create in their environments? Cool. I am going to move on to talk about packages. Now, organizing and documenting packages is really important because they aren't super easy to look at. Looks like we have someone joining. Hello, you probably can't hear us yet because you're connecting to audio. Um, but yeah, so if I wanted to inspect a package, I need to create a policy in order to cache it on my computer. And then I can look like packet inspector and um, inspect that package. And it's, uh, you know, it's not, not easy to do, right? So it's important to put some good notes in there so I understand what is in this package and how to update it in the future. So let's look at a couple of these that I created. So I've got Adam up here. Um, I'll just edit this so it uh, I can see it, first of all. Um, so first of all, the thing I love to do during packages is add the version number in the package itself. This is actually really important for patch management because I can't see the notes and everything else when I add a patch package to a patch policy. So I need to be able to see in the display name what the version of the package is. Uh, in the info field, so there's these there's these two fields for packages. And historically, the reason that these exist is because one is displayed, some of this stuff is displayed when the package is deployed, which this kind of makes sense in like an imaging workflow. And the other one is just displayed to the administrators inside of Jamf Pro. Um, these days, it doesn't really matter like where, what you put in either one. Um, I just like to use them as two separate fields to work for myself. So in the first one, I like to put more information about the package that I might need. And the second one is, um, is some information on how that package was, um, like the, when it was built and who built it and who uploaded it and things like that. Um, 
So what I'm putting here is basically exactly what's in this package. So this package was built by Composer. Um, so I just say, hey, this is putting the Atom app into the applications folder. Um, actually, I kind of did this wrong when I was quickly going through this. I typically do built, uh, let me see here, built in Composer by Chris Shotzi. So I would do downloaded from by Chris Shasi on 1-30-2021. So I like to say who downloaded it, who built the package if it was built in an application, and then who it was updated, uploaded by, and then give a date for each one of these. Um, let's look at another package to kind of see what this looks like. So company portal. So here I have the version number. I could probably also say that this is a, a PKG from vendor. Um, what this means is that I didn't build this at all. I just downloaded it and I downloaded it from this link. And that's why I have that link in there is so that I know in the future, hey, if I want to update this package again, I just go to this link and I download the new one. Uh, for something like this, this helps me explain what it is. Um, let's look at another one. And a lot of times I'm not the one downloading the package. Someone's giving it to me. So, and, and sometimes I don't know how they get the package. So VMware Fusion is one example. You need access to the VMware portal. Um, Typically, someone in the organization will provide me a package, and I just say that it's provided by that person and when I uploaded it. Um, that way, I know next time I need to update this package, I need to go to that person to get that new package. And then um, I categorize a lot of stuff into um, quarantine and deprecated. So the deprecated ones are obviously just older packages you know, I have some old Jamf Connect versions in here, some old Google Chrome versions. These will eventually get deleted. Uh, this quarantine one is typically stuff where um, I just don't have enough information about it. Like, um, let's look at Spotify. So this is typically what I see with a lot of packages. Um, there's nothing in the info field. There's nothing in the notes field. So I don't know if this is the latest version or not. Luckily, it does put the version number in the display name. Um, but I think there's another one here that I had. Yeah, Google Chrome pref.pkg. This is a great example of like, I don't know what this is. This is apparently some preferences for Google Chrome. I don't know what preferences they are. I don't know what changes it is going to make to a user's computer. I'm definitely not going to deploy this without looking into it further. Um, and if I even go to history here, um, I did just edit this to add some notes here to change the category. But before that, I don't know when this was uploaded, so I don't know how out of date this is. Uh, history within Jamf, for, by default, the logs are uh, flushed every three months. So it's hard to rely on this to know like how old a package is. That's why I always add those dates there. Um, moving on, I'm gonna, I'm gonna start talking about scripts. 
because man, I, I can be long-winded about the most boring topics. Um, <laughs> please chime in or comment if you have any questions. I'm trying to bring these comments back up here. Where is the chat? There we go. Cool. Uh, going on to scripts. So uh, I have a lot of scripts in here that aren't well documented. I will show you them. At least with this one, I put a little bit of documentation here on what my source was. But this is literally a one-line script, no air checking, no explanation on what it's doing. This isn't a great example of a script that's well documented. Um, nor is this one. This has a little bit more stuff, but again, there's just not much commenting explaining what's happening. Uh, this install Rosetta one does a bit more if statement stuff, but again, I don't even know. I think I copied this from somewhere. No information about where it was, where it came from initially. Not much information about what it's doing. Uh, so an example of a good script is right here. I got this from Chad actually made this. Um, I don't think Chad's on this meeting because he's in a jumpstart right now, but um, this is a good example of a well-documented script. So this explains, we have this whole heading right here that explains what this does, how to like properly utilize it if you're going to customize it for yourself, uh, and then the history, this is really important too, like what different versions of the script are there and what changes have you made? Um, and then all throughout this, this is a depth notify script. So all throughout this script, it's very well commented. He's using functions, which is great to do different tasks. Um, you can see the comments throughout here and he's sectioning off different stuff. So this is an example of a well-documented script. Um, probably don't need to get into this too much without spending way too much time talking about it, but Chris, really well-written script. Yep. Can you address the, the chat real quick? Uh, a, a number of the users are kind of joking that there's not a whole lot of script writers out there. Most of us just borrow the scripts, which I yeah. can commiserate <laughs> with. So if you're just borrowing scripts, how do you utilize the documentation to get the most out of them? Um, I would, yeah. So if you're, I mean, I also you know, borrow a lot of scripts. I also kind of know how to bash scripts, though Chad is a lot better than me. Um, Chad also can do Python scripting, but um, I will break it down into what I can understand, right? And you might not understand anything in a bash script, and I guess that's fine. At least document as much as you can. But if you can now understand like, well, this if statement is doing this thing, then, I kind of, I'm kind of getting what's happening here. So you can dissect a script a little bit, but yeah, hopefully if you're downloading something online, it is somewhat documented, like a lot of scripts are. Um, the main one I, I borrow is the reissuing the file vault recovery key script. And luckily that script is very well documented, which is great. Um, I'm typically not gonna be the one making the changes to that script as it happens, but um, yeah. So basically do the best you can to document it the best way you can and put as much information based on what you understand. That will also help you in the future as you're slowly borrowing scripts slash learning how to script. Because if you borrow enough scripts, 
you're probably going to have to customize some of them and then eventually you're learning how to script you might accidentally become a scripter cool i'm going to move on from this though or i could i could easily talk forever and i am not even yeah i, I can't even look at this <laughs> chat right now there's so much stuff <laughs> 10 minute warning yeah i'm going to get through the 10 minutes so yeah so i want to talk about i mean really packages and scripts are the main part of this documentation piece um, I do want to talk through package it, policies, configuration profiles, and then smart and static groups. I'm going to start with the smart and static groups, because the main thing about these is you can't categorize them. So the smart and static groups are always going to show up in alphabetical order. So I like to put um, little abbreviations at the beginning of them to, to designate what they're used for. So I have three different abbreviations I use by default. Sometimes I can add more, like if I'm in an iOS depart, uh, you know, iOS environment with a lot of different carts, I might sort of separate all the carts together. But uh, typically I use M for this is a policy that's monitoring something and S for any policies that are being scoped to something and then T for anything that's temporary. So why is this important? S is really important because if I want to change anything in an S policy, I need to make sure I know what I'm doing because I could drastically change the workflows I have in Jamf, which means things might get installed on people's computers that I don't want to happen, or things might stop getting installed on people's computers that I want installed on those computers. So it's really important to designate like some type of letter for something that says, don't touch this unless you really know what you're doing. Um, the monitoring ones let me know, hey, I can kind of mess with these ones and it's not going to affect anything because I'm just using this to monitor stuff like battery is dying um, or like something is cached that I need, you know, the missing computers, stuff like that. Put an M in front of that. And if I need to change those, totally fine. It's not going to affect any workflows. And then T is temporary. Um, and for me, I, I end up creating a lot of smart groups that are just like monitoring a deployment of something. So in that case, if I put a T next to it, I know that later on when I come back to that, I can pretty much always delete this. So I might just come in and delete it or add it to deprecate it or something, but I typically just delete them. So that's smart groups, kind of the same thing with static groups. Most of my static groups are always scoped to something. So uh, I would almost always put an S in front of it. Um, Another thing too, uh, Chad's not here, but he has a script that he will run when we start working with a client that will find all the policies that aren't scoped to anything. So that kind of helps us in creating this type of stuff. Um, I will move on and just finish my content and then come back to questions for everyone. Um, so policies are a little bit simpler uh, just because you can't actually put any notes into policies. So if you look in here, there is no notes field, um, which kind of sucks, but is actually all right because you can kind of see everything that's happening with a policy just based on what's in it and from this bird's eye view. So I always like to look at a policy like this to see like, what's the workflow of what's happening? Um, for automated enrollment, I also like to sort things by numbers 
The reason is, is because if you don't specify like an order to stuff, um, it will run in alphabetical order. So if I have a bunch of policies running with an enrollment complete trigger, they will run in the order that they're listed alphabetically. Um, I also like to use the you know deprecated one for like, hey, I have this old thing that I don't want to delete yet, but I'll put it in the deprecated category. And then obviously if I'm testing something, I will stage it in that testing category. And then once I've successfully tested it on a couple of computers, then I'll put it up to one of the production categories, which would be like the automated enrollment one or the help desk one or something like that. Um, I also put a lot of stuff into the temporary category where it's like, hey, this is something I'm only going to be doing as a quick fix. So if I come back to it later, I know I can just delete it or maybe throw it to the deprecated one. Uh, with the configuration profiles, kind of the same. Um, there is a description field for configuration profiles. I tend to not use it, mostly because I'm lazy. Also because I figure I can look inside of the configuration profile pretty easy and get a good idea for what's in there. Um, but it probably is a good idea, especially if you're doing something with restrictions or one of those payloads where there's tons of stuff to actually put what you're actually doing in this configuration profile. And it's a lot of the same. I stage stuff in the testing stuff. And then once I um, have properly tested it, put it into a production category. Um, and then once I'm done using something and it's old, I will put it into the deprecated category. Cool. Um, Jason asked if, uh, does anyone name self-service policies to start with SS? Um, that's actually a really good point, Jason. And I think that's a, a pretty smart thing to do. Um, the, I would love to be able to make a category for all the self-service policies, but that's not possible because that category will actually show up in self-service, which isn't great. But um, Jamf allows you to have a different display name from the self-service name. So I think that's a really good cadence to put SS in front of all the self-service policies, just so you know it's in there. Yeah, and there's a lot of stuff you can do with policies too, like installing or install Chrome before any installation ones which can help designate what it's doing. Um, yeah, sometimes if it's an automatic installation, I might do like one or two. I also do like, a lot of times I do 2.1 and 2.2 and things like that, just so it's easier to kind of order them. So I'm reading everyone's chats and I feel like this is awkward. <laughs> I, I think you've been doing great. I know we're, we're getting pretty short on time here. Um, a, a favorite vocab word that we learned from Adam. Um, yeah, I think there was a pretty interested silence as you started going through this stuff. So um, it might not be the most tech advanced stuff that we've done, but I think uh, this was helpful to a lot of users, Chris. Cool. Yeah, and I probably should have prefaced all this with like, why is this important? 
Um, it's important because as you work in Jam Pro, um, you're, you're developing habits. And it's really easy to just do the things you need to and not do the things that help you in the future. Documentation is what helps you in the future. And if you're new to Jamf, if you're new into doing this stuff, trust me, your future self will thank you when you come back and you understand what you did a year ago. And not only your future self, but the future person who's maybe going to take over your role when you get promoted or leave for another job or something like that, they will appreciate it because they will come in where they're like, I might not understand Jamf completely, but you documented everything really well. And that super helps me as I'm trying to take over an environment that I haven't seen before. Cool. I think, um, Chris, I'm so proud of you for sneaking in some why there at the end of that. Um, nice job. Uh, we only have a couple minutes left and I, unfortunately we don't have much time to go over today. A um, couple minutes though. So if you guys have any questions related or not related to the presentation, feel free to fire those off. Um, as usual, uh, feel free to email us or get a hold of us in the uh, many different ways that we reached out to you all. If you guys have any questions, we're, we're trying to be as helpful as possible in this bizarre and ever evolving industry. Thank you guys all for coming though. I really appreciate it. This has been fun. We got a couple more questions though still, so we won't pull the plug yet. Can we upvote a feature request to have the same search in the policy window also be in the smart groups scripts extension attributes? Yeah, um, that's definitely something I wish was there. There's a lot of things, everything within Jamf should be searchable um, and it should have a filter um, that you can type into so you don't have to do a browser search. Uh, so yeah, I would, if, if someone creates that, I will definitely upvote it. All right. Thanks you guys so much for coming out. Uh, Brad, thanks for gracing us with your presence. Woo. Uh, this was, we'll be doing another one. First Friday of the month has been our cadence um, and we will stick with that unless there's you know holidays and whatnot. So first Friday of every month, uh, look for hopefully my less than annoying emails and reach outs to get everyone going, but everybody have a great weekend.